four to choose from. So I'll well. go with it. Call it the third best. Uh, so really too far. There. Put it above. Yeah, no, okay. It's all right. It's the second well, worst. So now that the show has started, that'll be the poll to all the people yeah. watching. <laughs> <laughs> I do that with full knowledge and consent. Welcome to the Dresden Files podcast, the only Dresden Files podcast where we talk about the Dresden Files and it's called the Dresden Files podcast. Welcome. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a book. White Nigget. Huh? White Nigget. <laughs> no, no, God Nigget. Jesus no. Christ. I thought that's what you said. White Knight. I thought, oh, <laughs> oh gravity. It's obviously Knight Knight. Okay, we're going out to the uh, All right, this podcast is done. Well, it's funny, though, because it's it's not spelled K N I G H T because that's Summer Night. We got the oh, other right, one. That's right. Night. That's oh, my right. God. No that was a dumb mistake, but oh my god. Because yeah. if it was spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, then it would have been too too much fodder for the social justice warrior crowd. So I have uh, misspelled everything so far. And I, we can edit this in post. News at 10. <laughs> uh, we do have some news, uh, specifically as of yesterday. Jim is up to chapter 46 in Peace Talks, the book in which everything is in. Yes! Uh, everything. Wonderful. Anyway, so that's pretty much all the news I got. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all the news, I think. we got like five chapters left. And, unless we want to start counting the days that this podcast has been without a book, you know, because it's all of them. So... <laughs> all of the days. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, it is weirdly impressive. We're on episode 83 without new content. Not Can really. you imagine? No, no, no. Short and, stories, short stories. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But but I mean, and also roughly doing every other week, though. I mean, yeah, they, it was good. It was good to get briefcases, and there's been plenty of little short story nuggets and stuff like that. But you know, we haven't had uh, a major book release or anything like that. And the the short stories came out over time. So briefcases, we got like the one extra story, right? You know, everything else we kind of handled over the last couple of years as they got put out. So. Same with but, uh, this one. I mean, it was side jobs in the beginning. Um, right, right. Those, were, those had come out pretty, it was basically just aftermath that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was late to all that, though, so it was all new to me. When yeah, I me got too, to as far as short stories go. Right. So, White Knight, because we're not going to try and say anything cutesy again. Uh, so a terrible decision, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, you invited him. <laughs> It was it was entirely her idea. Yeah. So this this one's kind of fun. I mean, should we just do a, a quick plot synopsis and then get into crazy? Yeah, because... let's do the synopsis first and then conspiracies after. Right. Because it well, might work I'm sorry, you way. don't want to sit here for another hour and forty five minutes. It's starting oh. to sound like structure. So <laughs> and we don't do that here. Uh, so Harry still got lash, uh, which is important because he calls her lash instead of lashiole. That I'm just putting that out there because that's yeah. going to be one of my things. Um, Thomas has disappeared, kinda. Um, the Ordo people are showing up dead, and it turns out, you know, just a lot of low-level magic users are turning up dead in a bunch of cities, which kind of sounds familiar because we're going to see more of that in aftermath and things like that. Um, they think that Thomas is in in on it. Spoiler alert: he's not, but he's stupid close to it because it's the White Court vampires. And we find out that inside the White Court, there's like three three major houses. You know, the Malvora, the Scavis, and then the Wraiths, which are like... Do those before. Do what? Hmm? 
he dropped hints to those the three major houses before. So like it's a yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, because he I think he talks oh, about yeah he he talks about uh, magical you know mm-hmm. being like he's a cousin but he's weird and I think he even calls him. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But yeah, it, like you mentioned, it's been hinted. So um, we find out, you know, there's a couple of competing interests because it's the it's the white court. So they're all backstabby and sneaky and shit. Um, you know, two of the competing houses, the Scavis and the Malvora, uh, had sent like their heirs, I guess, or, you know, like basically, yeah, the, the heirs to their house out to start killing people and stir shit up. Harry gets wise to it and this is one of the few books where I don't feel like Harry just gets like totally annihilated before he even shows up to the end fight. Like Harry makes it out mostly unscathed, you know, uh, in comparison. Um, so they run around, they do some investigative bullshit. Elena's back. That's important because reasons, but you know, it's, it's just nice to see in comparison because I like the contrast with her and I like, um, he picks up a trick that we get to see in the next book that he uses with the whole lightning chain. Um, Mm. And then uh, basically it culminates in, he starts to put everything together. Uh, oh yeah, um, Demeter, uh, Bel- Helen, Helen Beckett. Helen Beckett. Right? Beckett. She's back from Stormfront. So we get a huge freaking arc back to there. One of the worst scenes in the entire series is there as far as like emotional gut punching. Um, and then- uh, This Harry- is E.G.'s least favorite book. Right? No, this Harry- it's in the bottom three. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't decided if it's worse than... No, it's not worse than Ghost Story, but it's it's in the bottom three. <laughs> okay. So it's his third worst because I think Ghost Story and Full Moon are... <laughs> yeah, lower probably than... Full Moon is, is slightly worse than this, too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Harry gets to call in Carlos, which is always fantastic. So we get some more Ramirez. They go have a duel with the White Court and every... Well... Harry and Marco make it out mostly unscathed. Uh, Murphy makes it out mostly unscathed. Everybody else is just kind of gets their shit kicked a little bit. So yeah, Hendrix has a finger that Murphy decided to be mean to, and she got told to pick on someone her own size. It was yeah, it's such a great moment because Hendrix is like, but okay, fine. Uh, but I I liked I liked the whole twist at the end with you know Marcone showing up with all the soldiers of fortune and whatever just because there's practically no indication like going through the book like i think at one point he says he's talking to marcone but it's it feels like a throwaway line and then all of a sudden marcone shows up everything sands the helicopter and guard because she's mysteriously absent this book and uh just throws down but uh uh, we get to see more of monarch even though it's not fully addressed that almost certainly marcone you know hired some additional mercenaries from monarch for this uh, and then we get more with the Black Council and Cal, presumably, uh, or at least somebody on Cal's level. Or did he? He, no. he ended up figuring it out, right? Yeah, that Cal was there. Uh, okay. He was because when he did the Little Chicago, following the gray cloak person he couldn't identify yet, that right. tried to burn down Anna's um, apartment. He was speaking to Cal. Cal noticed him, gave him a head blast outside of Little Chicago, right. and then he showed up at the end again. Cal was hiding his voice in the, this book. Oh, really? Yeah, well, he's the way it's not mentioned that it has a weird wobble. Which no, but it was the, also the the, yeah. the only time you really hear him is through that like illusion projection thing. So mm-hmm. that probably stifled something of it. Right. What I was thinking is that he go he didn't know to hide his voice specifically. Uh, 
So it's probably his real voice. Jim didn't do uh, like a warble either. He spoke like like a normal person. You Very mean, deep resonant. Plus, there's also the Marcus possibility Marcus, yeah. that whatever backlash happened, you know, heard him change things. You know, Nicodemus speaks raspier later on because of what Harry does to him. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I think when he showed up initially, like he was all, he was all raspy, just mostly because it sounded like he hadn't gotten over getting blown up in uh, Deadbeat. Because doesn't he make a a reference to him sounding a little raspy or moving oddly or something like that? Well, um, he, I think he mentioned that he was moving like he had been hurt. Right. Yeah, I think he's mentioned that he's moving weird, like stiffly or something. But right. Which makes his, sense. Nothing about his voice, and and James didn't do like the warble voice. He did a, a very deep baritone kind of for it. I don't know if he had insider knowledge. It's like he just went with whatever he wanted. Could well, be. I mean, let's face it. He also, it's not like he's got the character arcs fifty books ahead either. So he's got no, to no, work right. with what he's got. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, at the end, uh, we get free of uh, Lash. Finally, um, she drops a whole bunch of hints about the uh, Starborn stuff. We get to see more outsider stuff. Those are actually directly related because, you know, she's like, wait a minute, because of this, we can do that, you know, sort of thing. Um, we see the crazy, you know, prehistoric ghouls or, you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of how Harry describes them anyway. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as broad strokes go, like that's the most of it. There's there's plenty of political intrigue between Harry and the White Court, uh, you know, and, and Lara specifically. Uh, which is a lot of fun and uh you know loads of stuff that gets set up for the next two-ish books you know even this is one of the books that had a lot of setup that we see later right a lot of it like marcone becoming a signatory of the chords right and the paranet and just mm -hmm. yeah yeah we could so i mean that's i mean that's probably worth talking about you know like the the ordo goes on to become you know the surviving members become the paranet in a lot of ways uh harry comes up with the idea, gets Thomas and Elaine involved and uses the Ware Guild from the White Co uh, White Court to fund it. Um, so we'll see them come back just in little snippets, mostly like they just keep their ear to the ground and look out for each other, mostly from what we've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, the little electric chain thing, I think, was fun because, you know, Harry's like, oh, yeah, that's a neat idea. And then when you see it in um, small favor and you're like, Oh shit, that looks familiar. You know? So uh, you get to see his take on some of that and stuff. I like how I think I'm pretty sure Elaine is making a joke when she says she's plugging it into the power socket, but <laughs> right. he went with it literally. Well, it's just funny because it's like one of those things is easier than the other. Like I imagine, you know, the 120 volts out of your wall socket is plenty for charging that sort of thing in lieu of a lightning storm, which unless, you know, she's living in Tampa, for example, would happen all the damn time. Uh, but it just seems kind of funny that she's like, oh yeah, you know, thunderstorms. And it's like, no, that's right. But she was in LA in a desert. Right. Yeah. So whatevs, but it, I mean, it was cute and it, it just shows some cleverness. It's nice to see her bend the you know traditional wizard tropes and, and poke fun at Harry for being, involved with them you know and she has a shield ring right not a shield bracelet mm -hmm. right. that means less powerful one well, and doesn't she use like an anklet do we see that in this one or is that somewhere it might have been the other one okay i don't remember but she does have a lot of jewelry that she uses like uh when they, they mentioned after they found anna dead 
that she had a whole bunch of uh, bangles on her wrist that apparently were heightening her ability to sense things. And that was her defense, is being able to have heightened senses. Oh, right, right. So she and puts a lot of things into metal and into jewelry because it's easier to carry, I assume. Right. Yeah. And, and, and she's I mean, a girl. She, she pokes fun at the phallic symbols like staff, you know, blasting rod, whatever. And, you know, she's, she's much more, for lack of a better word, sensitive than, you know, and finesse than Harry is, uh, you know, because Harry even still is doing brute force. But we do get some pickup lines about how teaching Molly has helped him get much more uh, finesse than he used to which we just see increase and increase and increase until he starts pulling his own veils and changes and everything like that, which I, I feel like were really cool, subtle ways of powering him up without necessarily giving him like, oh, well, you punched a bigger monster in the face. In this case, it's you've been teaching the Padawan how to do veils and she's really good at them, but you got to learn too so you can teach her the mechanics, you know. And, and not even just that, but going at the basics of the wizardry too. And right going back to basics after you've had a little taste of something more advanced and realize how important they are, which is just true to learning things in general. Right. And she well, also complimented his shield bracelet and saying she couldn't really necessarily pulled off what he did now that he uh, adapted it with the, uh, to deal with heat and stuff like that. And he, and he had mentioned specifically it was helping teach Molly that gave him the idea to even try it, you know, in a way. So just cool little bits like that. So Molly is annoying in this book. Oh yeah, she's I mean, like, she just she thinks she, she's like these typical. Well, she was annoying in the last book too. So think about it though, right? So we're like a know-it-all. Well, yeah, we just came out of proven guilty, and so she's. This is the first real time we're seeing her as Harry's apprentice, where she's not just trying to jump his bones. And so, you know, she's still doing the I know best bullshit that she pulled with her own family, certainly. And Harry knows that. And so Harry sets up all these little teachable moments. How like, many beats? Yeah, exactly. Or uses her against herself because it's like, I've told her not to come with me three times today. So invariably, she's in the back seat, isn't she? She's right behind me, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, so except it was, I guess she showed up with... Uh, was it Ramirez when they were talking about the duel or whatever? And she like barges in on them and yeah. they, they have the final, how many beats conversation and she, and then she learns to lift the X wing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I don't understand. All I said was I was afraid. Yep. That's the first smart thing you've said the whole time, Molly. That's how dumb you are. That's the first smart thing you've said. So I hey, listen, she got like a psychic orgasm out of it. So from the dead person. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good times. Which was very, very unlucky and unfair because now she has a positive reinforcement for being stupid. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, he says as much on the car ride back. He's like, let's yeah, think yeah, about the heroin. Her. The heroin probably felt really good too, or whatever. And he says, mm -hmm. like, right. Let's sober her up. Because it was so much of an impact on her that she felt the scavis die. And that's when it finally had the light bulb moment of, hey, this is really important and this is dangerous. It kind of seems like he should have done something like that to her before because she's a sensitive. It's like, make her feel something die. Take her to a slaughterhouse or something. Maybe. Well, but, I mean, you know, we also find out later that that kind of mentality doesn't help her. She ends up homeless because of all that psychic kind of damage from death. Right. But well, if you need to, like, so. make her feel something bad so that she understands how bad it can be, and she's a sensitive, it seems like he kind of missed the whole 
how to prod her into the right direction a little bit. Well, and that's actually remember the uh, one of the training techniques is to was it to throw rocks at people, mm -hmm. something like that? Right. Yeah, and he threw snowballs. But I mean, that's what we find out through as the series goes on. He's been pulling his punches with her the, from day one. Right, and that does turn out to be a bad thing because when she gets hit really hard, she can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Again, I so I'm well, I'm going mean, to differ with you because the whole changes thing isn't that she got hit hard. I mean, granted, that was a big part of it. She broke the laws of magic, and they're specifically there to protect you from doing shit like that because you don't just change them, you change yourself, which is the whole thing he's been telling her in the first place. Right. So granted, losing Harry is a big fucking deal, but it really fucks her up beyond the pale because she did it, and in her psyche somewhere she knows it. You know, so right. he, he could do it. He told up. her to to do it, and there's all right. those things. I don't I would say that she didn't break the law of magic there, it's just hard to verify. But, no, but the fact that she hated herself because she thinks she killed him, no, yes, that did a lot of damage. But the negative impact of black magic is just like a universal rule. It's like you do what? these things, it changes you. She she meddled with Harry's mind, it changes her. Right. Yeah, and I mean it's it'll be interesting to go back through it because a lot a lot of what Harry's argument in um, proving guilty was was that you think that it's the right thing to do that's part of how it damages you is that you know you start using magic to fix all of your problems and that's where sorcerers and warlocks kind of go off the rails a little bit is that they just start using it for everything so that's that's part of it but yeah i mean you're probably right just the just the fact that she did it to harry whether he wanted to or not mm -hmm. but she also had to wipe her own memory right no, no, she remembered. That's why she they remembered. Okay. Yeah. And we'll see this more when we get through the ghost story portion, but she felt that he was coming back to take her away because she killed him. Right, right. Yeah, because that was the first thing she says, right? Is yeah. like, are you, are you coming to take me away? Like, yeah. Why would you say that? Right. But um, because she's a sensitive, and you see it in the small, the short stories, like, uh, it's my birthday too. Mm -hmm. She felt someone die and she was frozen. And he knew that that's what she was dealing with and they were getting into a big problem. He didn't seem to get that because she's a sensitive, he needs to teach her differently. Right. He only got that she can't do brute force power the way he can. Right. Well, Leah and Molly is actually a lot like in terms, like they're way more subtle, subtler works. I don't think Elaine is a sensitive, right? But they are both like more like subtle and fin finesse than Harry. Right. Uh, Elaine, definitely it's finesse. She's got, she's got almost all of Harry's raw power because we see her cut loose. Like one of my favorite moments in this book is the whole, like the, the moment where the Scavis has got her in the tub and basically talking her down and dying. And then, you know, you've got two great moments with the whole, you know, Harry getting in touch with her with their little telepathy spell and using his will to break her out of that. I mean, I, I would love to yell into the microphone here, but I think you get it. You know, just the, you know, I am Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, hear me, you know, moment. And then coupled with, should we go in and get her? And then the entire front of the fucking building coming off because she just blows this asshole right out into the street. And it's just such a great thing because Harry talks about Elaine's probably as strong as I am, maybe even stronger in some ways. And then you actually see her cut loose for once and you're like, oh, yeah, shit, that that was a lot. You know, that was a Harry move, uh, you know, so earlier just, than that, too, when the building's burning down and she pulls out that like smoke suppressant spell and he's yeah, like, that was like really I couldn't do that like, shit. Uh, right. 
a more subtle thing, right? Not power thing, not having a big bank of battery. No, well, that's what, I mean, that's what he says. She's nearly as powerful as I am, and but she's also better at the, the delicate stuff. Right. And that's, you know, she made it, you know, you have to stay behind to let people through this thing. No, it's permeable. They can, they right. can walk through it. <laughs> He's like, holy crap. Permeable? Also, when they were at the water beetle getting attacked by the ghouls, which also this is the first uh, time we see the water beetle, which comes up almost every book afterwards. Uh, she did a wind air vortex thing in order mm -hmm. to handle all of the smoke there. Yep. Right. That's a, a huge nice working of air. Right. And and we know that because Harry talks about that shit all the time. Like he doesn't do air air so much anymore versus will because air is a whole lot harder to handle. And and he really gets into it again when he starts to do it again finally versus uh um it's Anna Asher, right? The uh Yeah, I was gonna say after he becomes the knight, you know. Uh, air and darkness working for the queen. It seems like he goes back to air a little bit more. Ooh, that's a good observation. I like it. But yeah, like just specifically his little bow staff technique with deflecting your bolts and shit like that. But because like, you know, we've got the big working in um, Stormfront. He does Ventus Servitus to get his staff like a dozen times practically, but he stops using it somewhere around. You're I want to say once he switches from fire to force with um, blood rights, you know, because he basically eschews a lot of those more raw things. And, you know, he starts using Fozari a lot more, you know, deadbeat on, uh, you know, he's getting his most important air spell. Which <laughs> What's is the dustbuster spell? The blow dryer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's kind of like uh, Lucio's uh, coffee spell, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, it seems like all the wizards have these little quality of life. I was going to say, if there's not a spell that can help you around the kitchen, what the hell is the point of even being a wizard? <laughs> right. I mean, come on. He lights his candles by saying, flick him biggest. Right. Which is such a teenager-y thing. Like, it's just, like, you can tell that was definitely his first cantrip, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Well, they that, that comes up in the flashback, one of the flashbacks mm -hmm. in Ghost, Ghost Story. Story. Yeah. Right. Where he's talking with Dumorn and then they go play catch and yay. <laughs> yep. And then that catch that turned out to be not that fun, probably. Well, no, I think that catch was not like I'm um, throwing baseballs at your head trying to stop them. That was like yeah, post. Probably not yet, because Elaine wasn't even there, I don't think yet. Right. So there's so many great moments in the book. There's so I don't get how it is this so low for EG. There's so many I think this book suffers what some of the other books do of the two pieces of it don't feel like they mesh together. Like right. everything in the deeps doesn't seem like it's connected to the Ordo. Right. So they well, had to have conversations trying to branch them together, but they are easy to feel that they're separate. Well, take, take the ghoul attack, for example, this huge flashback, which is very important to understand where Ramirez is coming from and Harry's character and his That's state of, the, of mind at the time. Might be one of the and, best moments in all of Dresden Files, that whole it, flashback. It's so good. It, it's one of my favorites, yeah. Mm. But it has no fucking bearing on the rest of the story other than it explains why Harry hates ghouls so much. It which, does have other world-building things, like the letter from Yoshino yeah, yeah, yeah. and... Uh, talking to Lucio a whole bunch and but things like it that. Doesn't jive but specifically with White Knight. No, That's what I'm saying. It could have been anywhere. It could have been in any story. Yeah, yeah so it could have been a short story. Exactly. I mean, it would have been a hell of a one, but, but specifically, like, when you go back and think about what was in White Knight, it's easy oh. to separate that, that part because it doesn't connect to anything else. There are some connections that are heavier 
connected to White Knight than anything else, like the fact that Lash was translating and okay. probably therefore gave her more of a, a say in how Harry is feeling, which they do point out as she's been making him angrier and angrier. She mm -hmm. continues to translate in the deeps and whatnot. Right. Um, that was important because Ramirez sees both events, you know, because yeah. it's like, you, you know, as he calls him out later, like at, at the end of the book, right? Like you can't fucking speak Latin, but you can speak ancient Sumerian and ancient Etruscan. Like what the fuck, dude? You're, mm -hmm. you're lying to us and you're playing us, you know? Uh, which is great because we find out Elaine's doing the same thing. She's just not on the inside, you know, like she's been throwing the tests and hiding from the council as well, but as yeah. she should. Right. I don't, the only thing that the only thing that annoyed me about the ancient Etruscan and ancient like he's using these things like, just translating and he's like kind of willy nilly with it. It's like why didn't he use that to just like showboat the Merlin with the Latin a couple of books ago? Because, because he's not he's trying not to use her. Exactly. And, but and then he just willy nilly book, does it. Like, in this book he uses her all the damn time, but I think that's an important well, thing too, is that like, well, that, that could be, or he was finally losing that battle, you know, because like even in the final fight with the ghouls, he uses Hellfire to empower his earth magic spell, doesn't he? Um, but I mean, since Deadbeat, he seems to be okay at least using the Hellfire. I mean, he, well, that was the first thing he did against Cal. He flipped a car onto him using Hellfire intentionally. I thought that one was an accident, though. Because, that was like, not intentionally, he, because the first time he uses it intentionally is to enforce the mind wall against... Ex the, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. He but even still, about, since then, he's been... Right. He was using it intentionally in this book a lot. He was intentionally talking to Lash a lot, not trying to tell her to go away. Right. Using her to copy the board, using her to like be cool with the vampires because he could hear what they were saying. Yeah. Well, it's the you know Harry has a, a a tool and a and something that could have become a crutch, so better to make him lose it for the next book when he's got to go up against the Denarians again. Yeah. No, but there's actually so much like great setup for the other books. Speaking of you know going up against the Denarians in the next book, that Lash is gone. The Denarians don't know that, so when he's like, Shadow, right. Disabled Dresden. Right. That's so good. <laughs> the, the the flashback is great. The water beetles being set up for every future book in this one, on purpose, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because it felt kind of out of place, the whole water beetle thing. But mm. like it makes sense in the context of the the world building. It just it, it, he needed to set something up because Demon Reach, right? You and Dresden's got to have a way to get to the island. So how convenient is it that the book before Thomas gets a boat that he can start doing stuff like that? So mm -hmm. and he names it the Water Beetle because of course he does because it looks like shit and it, and Thomas is funny too. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah, I mean, you get that. You get the whole, like, being accosted by security and the cop and having to pretend to be gay. And <laughs> yeah. Another great moment. Right. You say great, other people say terrible. I was going to say, this is this is why we got that scene in Cold Days. <laughs> what scene in Cold Days? Yeah, which the one? one where he, he talks yeah. to, to Tanya about being yeah. okay with being gay people. Oh, gotcha. Good times. Um yeah. I, I just liked the overall getting a lot more of seeing the wizards cut loose, you know, so like that's a, some of my favorite stuff from Deadbeat, but it's also great here. You see Ramirez be Ramirez. You see, you know, Galahad. 
yeah, Camp Kaboom, um, you know, just the like throwing the obfuscation spell, you know, basically obscuring mist for the D&D nerds, right? It's like such a great low level thing, but it keeps the sniper at bay. You see Harry sprinting and, you know, outpacing Ramirez even uh, and a bunch of stuff like that. At the well, end, I was going to say, Ramirez seems to get a little bit of the Harry treatment every time he shows up. Like he gets waylaid pretty much every time he's around in battle, right? I mean, deadbeat, he's got to deal with. I don't know, what was it, Kumori, right? Mm -hmm. And then in this one, he gets, you know, hurt. And then in Cold Case, he gets hurt. <laughs> so he gets the, he gets yeah. the Michael treatment. Like, the side Well, yeah, hurt. he did get the Michael treatment. Mm. Right. Except he's still active. Little, little too soon since, you know, small favors next. Thanks. So, but. <laughs> yeah, that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, um, all of you people that are only reading these books as we are rereading them. Yeah, because that was a terrible mistake. We spoil everything. Yeah, so we... Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, Ramirez gets beat up a little bit, but, I mean, I think part of it is just that it's... I mean, it's a reflection of his personality, and it's Harry went through the same licks. You know, again, this is, like, one of the first books that Harry doesn't get his ass kicked before the, the finale, um, you know, well, he, he, he kind of did, but then they showed Elaine doing the Reiki, taking away. Well, that's probably true. was a terrible concussion. Right. Which for Harry, I, I don't know. I mean, he's been concussed a lot before, so. Which just makes it worse. Right. Yeah, that's, but he's got, he's got wizard maybe, killing, so he doesn't Maybe really that is why he never thinks about, like, the looking into his own past stuff. It's because he's always concussed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, just along the same vein with the whole the wizard parts. I mean, one of my favorite Ramirez moments in the entire you know series is the whole covering you know everybody while they're getting out in the portal in the Wraith Deeps and the whole like oh it hurts it hurts to be this good you know just slinging his magic of the ghouls and shit like that. So it was really... like a moment later, it's like Harry, there's a knife in my leg. <laughs> right, yeah, there's yeah. one there. in my guts. there's a knife in my guts. They match. <laughs> right. Motherfucker, who put this here? You know. Yeah. This is. I think this is really where you realize, like, like Ramirez is a fucking badass. Like his magic is super powerful. Right. His 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 version of a shield is insane. Right. Yeah, like, like a ghoul that's like attacking just goes. Right. So it's offensive and defensive. I mean, I really like. I really like Ramirez's magic. Like it's mm -hmm. it's just so cool. And I mean, Harry does something similar as well, but they play in different spheres, right? That's part of what works so well is that, you know, Ramirez was able to get his shield up faster and was ready with the defense, you know, during the duel. Harry ends up reflecting, you know, the fully automatic machine gun fire or machine pistol, whatever you want to say, back, you know, at, uh, I think, from Vittorio to Magical at, at one point. You know, so he does something similar, but in his style, right? It's all brute force shit. You know, the one, like, sneaky thing Harry did the entire fight was, like, he he put this giant wall shield up from his fucking bracelet and then made it a mirror. And it just stuns Vittorio, like, what the fuck just happened? And it's like, I can't blame the guy. I wouldn't have seen that coming if I couldn't do it either, you know? So you just get these... I actually these... thought it was uh, Ramirez who did the mirror, but I, I'm probably just misremembering. No, yeah, and Ramirez does the, like, he just disintegrates, like, a 10-foot cube of ground that Magical mm -hmm. falls into, and he's able to use his Warden Sword, which is, like, out of the two of them, he's the only one who could do it to to get rid of those stupid arm guards, um, you know, which is another great moment, because it's like, as soon as he whips it out, it's like, oh, shit, I forgot he had that, you know? 
like that's it was even hinted at earlier with the whole did you not wonder why you why you don't have a sword i, I just assumed you don't like me right yeah that's fair. that's just another way of saying harry doesn't get a super cool tool because harry needs to get punched a lot yeah well i mean that i mean yeah butcher's been very you know upfront with a lot of that stuff he doesn't get to use cell phones but everybody else could if they wanted to and he doesn't get swords because then he'd be too much and yeah just mm-hmm. instead he gets to be like the warden of the demon region the winter night i mean that's not overpowered yeah he gets I, yeah he definitely gets cool shit. i mean no one no one else yeah, but they're all double-edged swords right because... well yeah or because it's harry you know like little chicago saved his ass this time and you yeah. know bob's comment from white or not white knight from um proven guilty where it's like i'm not even sure some of the evil geniuses i worked for could pull this off you know like the some of the crazy wizards that i worked with you know so it it just that's something that's uniquely harry's he just doesn't get the combat stuff you know he can't make that too easy he doesn't get to use the internet that's what butters is for. but even that stuff go i mean little chicago eventually spoiler alert goes away It's probably going to turn out at some point that his mother's gem, if he ever decides to go back to that, is going to fuck with him somehow. Like Leah said it would. Uh, Does she? I guess She says and changes that there will be a price. There's always a price. And for Margaret, it was that she could not sleep soundly. Yeah, she said maybe you'll get nothing, maybe it'll destroy you. Right. Yeah. And that's nah, the kind of there's thing no way like, that's coming back to bite Harry. So. No, it's going to either bite him or he's going to lose it when he absolutely can't afford to lose it, just like everything else. And that'll be that. Maybe, maybe his mind is just a fertile ground for uh, for spirits to impregnate his head or something. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Is weird of a comment that is in its own right. I'm going to redirect that into the whole Bonnie thing because he has to get something in. Yeah, this is it, where Bonnie Bonnie gets consummated, right? That's I the mean, word we're going with? Yeah. I don't know what other word to use. Conceived. is what happens between the husband and the wife. You mean oh, the okay. conception. Yeah. Conceived. I think I might have been thinking about conceived, but said, like, consummated. Like, I know. His, his badass id is literally running around with a seductress, you know, angel. Like, of course, they're banging while Harry's, you know, busy, like, being asleep or something. So, you know, yeah. So yeah, you get you get Bonnie, which like so it, it was another one of those classic moments where you know somebody tells Harry that they know about mom, so obviously we're never gonna see them again. Yeah. But then it occurred to me, I was like, you know, Bonnie being a spirit of intellect technically has potentially access to a lot of that knowledge. So unless it conveniently got burned out in those pathways or whatever, which of course it did, she may know the answer. Uh if Harry ever thinks to ask her. She's so, just, but she's, she again, she's a tool that Harry doesn't get to use properly because she's a baby. And right. so she doesn't know what she knows and she doesn't even know things like pancakes being inanimate and she's got to learn. Right. So well, Harry's. She's got, maybe she's, in a couple decades she can put the words together in a sentence. Right. Well, she's the classic all intelligence, no wisdom, I think is, is what we're going to wind up seeing. Like she's got the knowledge, but not necessarily the application. And, right. Which definitely is happening in peace talks. So I safely say everything happens in peace talks. So right. she learns. <laughs> she's just learning about pancakes in peace talks. She's not giving out any star right. warnings. Speaking Maybe of work up to pancakes, one. your mom made some crazy good pancakes. Don't ask me how I know that. So. Well, I mean, at the very end of this book, you know, I mean, because they mention in Skin Game that, you know, um, 
Lash sacrificing herself was a form of love, the purest form of creation and all that. And at the end, Harry starts being able to play music. You know, he creates that mm. sound that he couldn't do before. And it was right. the last time too. Mm -hmm. So that probably the moment of conception, maybe. Well, no, I think it's, I think that's more like the hint of that's the creation. That's her mm. essentially taking. You know, she's she's yeah. there now. He's able to do this instinctively because she can do things instinctively, like when she was sending, trying to talk to him, and later on books, and his head was going to explode. But you know, you can't control it really. It just kind of happened. So. Obviously, you know, that seems to be the, the main hint that she gets, if not everything, 99% of what, you know, Harry knew and, and Lashiel knew. So, I mean, she may know everything Harry knew at least, but yeah, like it, it would be, I don't know, it would be too easy, I would say, if nothing else, that she knows everything Lash knew. And so that's why I expect Jim's going to hide behind, you know, well, part of his brain got burned out, like Bob says, or whatever. You know? Well, I think it's just, I think it's just as equally easy that she knows, but she can't really express it because she's, again, she's an infant by comparison. So she's not, she's not going to be able to be handy in anything until, you know, BAT at a minimum. Sure. Sure. Being sure. Enough, it's fried, or the brain being fried. This is, this is where Jim perpetuate the nasty stereotype that humans only use ten percent of their brain. Yeah, yeah. One, it's Bob too, isn't it? So you know, of all the things, well, it's not like Bob knows anything, right? He is literally a spirit of intellect. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks for your contribution. I'm just I saying. For a while. <laughs> um, I'm glad we we sorted that out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> so spirits of intellect all right. cause of problems. So other random things, just kind of going back through my notes. So uh, I can't remember dude's name. So Mr. Beckett uh, dies in a prison, right? Right. Just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time because coincidences happen in the Dresden files. And I'm like, would, would that have been an entropy curse or does it even matter? You know, really? It but probably it just, doesn't even matter. I mean, right. it's, I don't know. Prison in Chicago may not be pleasant. Well, I'm saying it happens. Who, who set it up for him to get killed was what it sounded like, you know? So my first thought was Entropy Curse, but I was like, Marcone could have set that up. It didn't have to. I was going to say, yeah, Marcone could easily have done that. But or Marcone then also offers Helen Beckett a job and feels personally responsible for their daughter's death. I right. don't think he would try to kill Mr. Beckett. Like... I mean, I'm sure we don't have a direct motive or anything, but I could think of a bunch of reasons like dude could just be a douchebag, you know, or yeah, he doesn't care. You know, women and children are, are good for, you know, he's not banging Mr. Beckett. Right. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like for whatever reason, he falls for Helen. But I'm assuming that happened after the fact, you know, uh, otherwise it becomes self, you know. No, but if, if you didn't realize, Marcone had Mr. Beckett killed in prison. But, but nobody. Where have nobody, you been for the last two minutes? Right? <laughs> Did you just fall out of a time bubble? We were just talking about that, and if it made any sense. But so, what's your evidence then? What what makes you say that? I just know it's my call. Oh, okay. Oh. You just 
feel it in your soul. I just like, feel it. Lucio and Dresden are destined to be, even though every single fucking NPC is for Team Murphy, by the way. Lash has brought it up. Thomas has brought it up. Lara has brought it up. But everybody likes to hold on to these Team Molly slash Team Lucio fantasies. I'm just well, everyone need everyone needs to understand they're bringing that up so that when Molly is a fantasy, it's it's a thing in sick people's heads because she's a kid and she's the not princess. a kid. She's like she's almost thirty now. Molly? It doesn't matter. He knew her when she was in pigtails. Oh, God. Now Lucio is a mature woman. Yeah, Overly. but the situation's even weirder because she's a mature, like, 300-year-old woman in, like, a hot 18-year-old body. Ooh, like, imagine, oh. imagine the experience. Who was psychically forced to like him. She's not going back to that Yeah, level. that's yeah, unfortunate. We're going to have to go see a, a couples counselor on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll get Papa Rashid slash Vaterung to do it, right? Yeah. So. No, but on McCone, how on the fucking nose is McCone if he's the one who gave Beckett her pseudonym as as Demeter. Oh, Harry knows. That's why he calls him out on it. It's like, yeah, yeah. You're not smart, Marcone. People know mythology. Like, come on. Like, um, like that just seems that just seems like I don't know why he would do that. Right. I mean, Marcone might have decided on the name or something. It's not like Beckett would have uh, objected to it. She practically admits it to herself. She calls herself a near psychopath because she no longer has anyone to care about. Well, she also thinks her daughter's dead, dead. So. I mean, for all intents and purposes, she is, but yeah. she doesn't know, she doesn't know she's in a hospital. Demeter's daughter has been taken to the underworld, and McCone is the ruler of the underworld, and it's just like, and, and, and she doesn't like... Clue in. She, she doesn't like clue in when he well, gives her the name. She's kind of one of those, like, she, she gets described as being clever and, and mischievous, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know, but she's she not. She's not that up and up. Right. <sighs> so, uh, to maybe add or change topic. Oh, good. Well, I, you know, I, you guys are talking and wanting to interrupt. Uh, one thing I really appreciate about this book is that it's a return to form to the uh, uh, Harry Dresden has a crime scene and Murphy's there and that kind of start that uh, sure. that we haven't seen in a little while. Uh, it, it feels like it wasn't the last time we had something that's a whole that's that kind of opening way back a couple books ago. I mean, we if just, you want to start with the direct opening, then sure. But I mean, you could you could kind of argue that he does a little bit of that on his own with um, you know proven guilty, and he does a little bit of that in Deadbeat, but it doesn't start it. You know, sure, yeah, and he, even even book six, he's not really working through the with the for the department to solve a. Right. Assault crime. This is this one feels a lot more, especially towards the beginning. Like it's it's uh, it's using some of those uh, noir elements a bit, a bit more strongly than we've seen. And then after this, it goes almost into a action adventure adaptation where Harry and the gang and there's you know uh, they're they're doing the things that they do, and it's really unmoored from the constraints of a particular genre of sort of that is the genre of detective work. I don't see him doing much detective work after this. I, oh, I disagree because of Turncoat. Uh, he just does it for the White Council this time. I suppose. Obviously, like, small favor. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, there's like no detective noir stuff that I can think of. Like, he obviously. No, they start with the apartment buildings that blew up. I mean, yeah. after he gets attacked, you know, at the Carpenters and Murphy calls him because 
the buildings blew up from the hellfire. So they do some oh, investigating. Right. It actually does the Murphy right. opening and uh, the Detective Murphy opening. Well, it's not yeah. opening. He opens it, you know, throwing snowballs, but yes. And getting beat up by the three Billy Billy goats. Mm-hmm. So Whereas in the, well, I guess the, the point of contrast here is in the first two books, certainly first two books, it's uh, it's oriented around a whodunit. And right. I don't see this it's as a, much of a whodunit. It's definitely used the first two books as shining examples of good dress and files. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just showing, you know, as far as using plot elements or not. Uh, yeah, I don't particularly, I don't particularly like the first two books, but it's it's showing, I think, Jim experimenting more with his storytelling and characters, having a good sense of who the characters are and uh, changing them for the future. And I, he just says that at this point in writing the series, he's definitely uh, demonstrated a much better grasp of what what he's doing with this whole setting and all the characters involved. Yeah, which I really I mean, he's definitely moving more from the noir and into just the general more like like. High fantasy, big, high fantasy, big world, right? And it doesn't have that uh, necessarily invest investigation. He's still an, a detective, but mm. doesn't have that same feel anymore. No, that's not going to change anytime soon either. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, like it would be boring as shit if literally every book, you know, did that. You know, where it just came right. right. into my oh, office. Yeah, Murphy's found a dead monster for some reason, or Murphy's found oh, yeah. a dead person who was killed by a monster or a dark mage or an insert trope here, you know, so we get a little bit of a difference, but he does still, you know, he's still an investigator at heart. You know, we, we do see that come around at some point in each of these books. So she had likes the wooden quit. See, I mean, shit, Murphy didn't hire him in, in ghost story, but he's literally been hired, so to speak, to solve his own murder, you know, which is uh, just takes it through there too. It's really all he really it was me do. all along. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of all he can do for a lot of that book is detective work. Right. Well, yeah. He's a terrible Swayze. He can't even ghost it up until the end. <laughs> yeah, Harry's a good <laughs> oh, hmm? He doesn't even make one pot, you know, pottery. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's one of those interesting things about the Harry characters that his best stories... Uh, instead of being like a Batman, where Batman's best stories, Batman is actually a detective figuring things out. Harry's best stories are the Spider-Man stories, really, more than anything. Or okay. it's really more that Marvel hero feel uh, that's kind of light, kind of fun, kind of adventurous, a bit dark, a bit brooding, a bit, uh, you know, got a bit of anxiety. Uh, but never, never enough to, you know, undersell the triumphant win of the character somehow through adversity. Whereas with Batman, it's the best stories have a very strong, you know, uh, serious, tragic element. Sure. Which, of course, is appropriate. Jim wrote that Spider-Man book. Still haven't read it. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish there's an audiobook version. It's a comic, dude. You're going to audio... Yeah, it was really... You're going to no, audiobook a comic. Didn't you will have 53 words and you'll... I thought, it was an actual, okay, I thought it was an actual book. Not the well, they call book. them books now, but it's yeah, a graphic comic. Like it's graphic Yeah. I mean, I thought there was an actual book. Like they always called it a book. Like when he talks about, it, he says book. Yes, because that's the parlance now. Because they don't want you to look down on them just because they're a visual format. But I don't look down because it's a visual format. Who does? That? I, I don't mean you as in you. I mean you as in the you, you people, everybody, you Europeans. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> yeah. Are we really going to go back to that? Are we really going to just try and tread this line? Yes. All right. <laughs> 
So I just think that's confusing. The the Spider-Man the Spider-Man thing kind of makes sense to me because the the parts of the Dresden Files that I like the most are when Harry's being clever. You know, where he's not just brute forcing it, whatever. He is using the tools of his ability or he does come up with some like non-standard, you know, tool or something for the job. This is one of the few, like, I'm trying to think if we've seen anything up to this point where he manipulates better players than himself. You know, guilty. Well, okay, yeah, because you could say he does it with the Merlin, right? But he—he's yep. already, but he, he, loses already kind of, he came up on the Merlin already as well, you know. And Ebenezer helped him a little bit because summer night, but you know, I—I I don't know. I just don't think the Merlin has been all that clever, at least on screen. You know, like obviously he's an iceberg for that sort of thing, but there's nothing that sold him. Like Lara is literally in her blood, you know, a manipulator. Whereas the Merlin's just kind of like a manipulative piece of shit, you know, with political power. Whereas like Lara, Marcone, you know, uh, just the white court in general, they live and breathe this shit. Right. So uh, also the way he was able to get uh, blood rights in the deeps to work out in his favor, he did it because he was manipulating Lara's tendency to manipulate. Okay. Which, which part though? Because I feel like he barely- He knew Lara was off. waiting and watching- when the papery oh, okay. went on, I was like, of course my children think it's important. I've told them to. Right, right. And then she takes control. But, well, but I say, he, he also set up a plan if that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, he knew that going in. Like, that's why his entire goal was not to actually hurt Papa Wraith, but to just make him use his energy because he knew somebody was going to end up taking him out. He had figured that much out. Yeah, I, that to me, it's not as strong an argument, but I see what you're saying. Well, he also had that conversation with Lara right beforehand, didn't they? They talked a right little bit about how he'd been, you know, I don't remember if they came out right and he told her he'd been neutered, but he basically was saying, you know, this is going to be the opportunity. Like you'll right. know your moment or whatever, you know, which I guess thinking about it, she does the exact same thing to him, which is like, you'll, you'll know when you need to come out, which is also a great moment. The whole wizards showed up to town, you know, with the little fiery red carpet, but I, because out of this one, like we, we get a CMB clever again, you know, in the next few books, but like the next one, I don't know if I'm missing a part, but I mean, he just really pulls it off again in, skin game you know where it's just like the entire thing was a con on people that were better than him um Mm -hmm. i want to say there's like one other instance because i feel like he did this with vaterung a couple of times but i might be conflating with uh cold day so (laughs) no because i mean (laughs) the the conversation with rashid in in turncoat is great but rashid just thinks he's nuts right like he doesn't Rashid doesn't sit back and say, you clever bastard, which is like the reaction you get out of everybody else except for Nicodemus, who's like, oh, God, you know, uh, when when everything gets flipped on him. But I, I don't know. I just I like those moments where, you know, he's either come up with some new clever magical gimmick or he's pulled one over on the people that are actually liars and manipulators. and Turncoat. At the end of Turncoat, because he had Mouse in the uh, private investigator, he had right. the picture proof. Yep, yep, yep. That's the other one I was thinking. Yeah, because it, it's like, oh yeah. Speaking of which, <laughs> Peabody, it's him. We got him on camera, literally. Yeah. So. And Peabody, well, the Black Council in general is kind of like he's being hinted at very strongly in this book because who else could have figured out and sent ghouls to Camp Kaboom? Right. Well, well yeah, it, no, it was it was they, that was the same in um, 
It was and, uh, proven guilty. Yeah, yeah. and proven guilty when they, yeah. when they sent him after him the first time. Only three people knew, you know, so. And, and he knew because he had Lucio under his brain lock. Mm-hmm. That's why. Well, yeah, I mean, sure, but he also literally signed the paperwork, I'm sure. Like, provisions have got to get back and forth. Yeah. So, Granted, but I, I just kind of figured it was because, you know, there's no reason to mention Lucio unless you're going to then find out later that she's been brain locked the whole time. Maybe, but the fact that she's not really a combat role right now makes her, you know, the perfect teacher. She's got all the knowledge in her brain and not nearly as much of the magical muscle. So they let Morgan kind of run. I, I just don't see it as a direct, like, you know, we brought it up as a tease, but maybe it's pulling double duty, you know, where it's like we had to put remind you that Lucio's still running around doing shit. Which I mean, is- I don't, yeah, I don't think it precludes the other options. He had all those other wardens under his whatever. It just, they, they made a point at the end of Turncoat talking about how he, he went to make sure his brain lock was holding. So presumably that means he's got some general way to kind of like freeze her or shut her down or he's got to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, which he did, right? Was the whole conditioning with her being the, the killer. So, well, yeah, cause he, cause he basically chucked her in there like in a haze and, Right. Um, so whether or not that extended to getting direct information from her, I don't see why he wouldn't. But, sure. and, you know, it doesn't preclude the other options. Sure. Yeah. Or even just being able to track her or something, you know, yeah. was what I was thinking. But, yeah. I So one one kind of like behind the scenes thing. So we haven't talked a lot about the Black Council and whatnot and, and what their play was here. But what I found was interesting is that it seemed like they were pretty much getting ready to take the white court out of like potentially the world. You know, they were they were potentially going to red court them in the, in the sense that they were going to end oh. up fighting each other and they were going to end up, you know, having a, a change of power. And it was going to severely weaken the house. You know, or Vittorio the- took over because he managed to kill everyone else. He's under Cowell's direct control. Right. He gets to handle all of the various little fingers that the white court has already gotten of very powerful governments all over the place. Sure. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way. I was just thinking just and, there were so many nobles there that they were taking out, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously well, that amount of vacuum, so no one can uh, or would have been able to challenge Vittorio, but if he takes control of all of that, he can start a world war three. Wow. There's also the, I think, and that, perfectly fine motive to me. I think there's also the possibility that we know Lord Wraith's got at least something going on with the outsiders in that he's sure. able to summon them to power entropy curses and things like that and they, they may or may not be behind his magical oh, protection if the Black Council's found out or the outsiders have found oh. out Lara's taken over now they need someone new in there to run the show. Right. That is actually suspicious that there's a connection for the outsiders to Papa Wraith and then there's Cowell to Victoria. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, that's worth bringing up too, right? So like Lashiel straight up says, or Lash straight up says that it's outsider power, which has made me think like, was Vittorio or um, Cowell like infused with one or did they just have one nearby? You know, like maybe that's how Cowell ended up surviving is that, you know, Cal's got somebody riding along with him. Well, Vittorio uh, was. I mean, didn't they make a point of mentioning he, he basically changed and got fused? 
you fused with the the walker's power or whatever yeah it must have been something like that because he was doing what he always does right he was just doing the malvora despair right but on like a, a huge level. Yeah, a, yeah yeah city level for that particular size of what he was doing yeah. so with his thing i mean it makes sense in general for the outsiders to want to have influence and be with the white court i mean of all the vampire courts they're the mortal ones so they'd be able to easily most easily summon them right um they also they can blend in the easiest they work on people's emotions which would then be able to manipulate them into working for them or summon it you know there's mm -hmm. they seem like the perfect people to want to have an influence in or over right also two prime white court vampires in the oblivion war which is very much outsider related right mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's it's not just outsider related. Right. It's mostly everything old supernatural gods. related. Yeah, it's here we're splitting hairs in old gods versus old ones, right? You know, because the I'm outsiders kind of in a way are old kind of. gods, but they're even older. So. Right. Well, I mean, when I think old gods, I'm thinking like you know, Tiamat and mm -hmm. old old gods. Right, but and I mean, they specifically talk about the like some little gods out of like the tribes of Africa or whatever, mm -hmm. like I'm sure the Hindu gods, you know, stuff like that, like some anyway, because there are so many to choose from there. Um, you know, like a lot of those old, old folklores, like ancient stuff. Whereas like the old ones are, you know, TM, HP Lovecraft, you know, like the primordial, you know, chaos uh, that was here before order reigned and whatever. So depends on how, how deep you want to get into it and, what yeah, not? well, this seems to intersect with that idea, and you know that the gaming does, where you're like, once you've lost influence and you start getting forgotten and you lose power, and then you get cut off and either essentially just disappear, or in the Dresden first case, you get locked into oblivion, the never and ever, with no or, tether to the world. Yeah, or Sam Neill's Merlin, where you can just forget map to death, and you know, so forth and so on. So. I mean, it, it it's definitely an idea that's been around before. It just, I don't feel like a lot of, you know, the modern fantasy writers have brought it through. They haven't weaponized forgetfulness, but it is such a, a great folklore type of thing, right? Because a lot of folklore things are just, they're kind of ridiculous or way outside the box on, you know, on the norm. Uh, but then when you think about it, it's like, no, that kind of makes sense. You know, you could forget some ancient creature to death. You know, I was going to say, I think it also, especially nowadays, it's a little harder to go down that road considering the way technology has changed everything. I mean, they make the point that point of saying that in in that in backup, you know, the way uh, right. the way these things go now. Right. My my favorite part about that is how like the wizards, you know, number one way to do shit like that is the counter opposite of how the Oblivion War is, right? Like Harry even talks about it, even though he obviously doesn't know. So it's not in that vein, but you know, the whole like, yeah, you're damn right. We published the Necronomicon because how could it hurt anybody now? Except yeah, that he basically, it. yeah, <laughs> gave that weapon to like everybody at the same time. So it's going to be around. But. That's why I've, I forever appreciate, uh, appreciate Shiro going, you know, <laughs> like fucking wizards. It's right. <laughs> so self-important, as if nothing important could happen without a wizard doing it. Right, right. I mean, in, ter in terms of, of, of living in the information age, I think the White Council might have the right end of the stick on that one. It's really hard to, like, completely oblivion war someone now if it's, for, like, if it's actually, like, out there. 
Well, and I think I think a big part of the difference is which one's easier to water down the power by getting it out there or to, yeah, obliterate somebody through, you know, the, the process of the oblivion war, not to mention the fact that literally the white council can't know about it by its nature, because if a wizard knows about it, that gives it even more power, uh, you know, in comparison, because that's why Harry couldn't know uh, is because Harry would give rise to all sorts of crazy bullshit if he knew uh, you know, just a little bit of it, let alone, you know, an entire council of wizards, uh, you know, so it, it makes perfect sense. It's just fun to see the dichotomy, you know, that every, everyone's like, okay, you know, we, we generally hate and want to power check the white council, but they generally do the right thing. But at the same time, they're colossally fucking this up and there's nothing we can do about it because by nature of having the problem, we can't involve them, you know, because it'll even get worse than what they're doing. Uh, anyway, once that printing press came along, it was all down. <laughs> right. So Gutenberg worked for nefarious forces. Uh, well, that's what I mean. They said that like three times with Mab, you know, talking right. Gutenberg and Grimm's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was literally, yeah, Mab did it. So, you know, and it makes sense. She's got every reason in the world to do it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there anything else we want to cover on? On this book, I feel like we covered a lot, actually. Yes. What? No part two? Come on. No. <laughs> the last time, if you stop and do, I'm just saying. Well, uh, if that's it, I guess so. Should I should I close it out? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. Well, the subsidiary thingamajigger of the Broken Jars Network. Check out all our other podcasts. Yeah, we have Especially podcast, podcast, podcast for days. Uh, <laughs> do we? It's been a while. How did we do this? We got a time? really active one called High Fantasy. Alex, <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> we talk about Brandon Sanderson, and he never responds. Wait, Sanderson wait, never excuse responds? me? You said Brandon, you said Brandon <laughs> Sanderson, right? What a good right? time to plug. <laughs> you talk about this guy? Huh? Wait, Brandon Sanderson had the title. of author or something? Does he write books? Or yeah, once in a while, he's kind of infrequent. But well, does he write it. books or does he write, you know, books? Because we know there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, is he some kind of graphical novel? Like, is he a uh, real author real. or is yeah. he just one of those? For the, for the record, uh, the Spider-Man novel by Jim Butcher is, in fact, a novel, not a graphic novel. Oh, really? You can even look it up. So mm. I knew it. See? 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 I'm smart. I know things. Oh, no. He agrees with me. There must be something wrong. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I think that's why no one here has ever read it, because it's an actual I can't read. Okay, what other podcasts we got? Uh, Oh, The Office one. What's it called? Great Scott. Great Scott. That's right. No, it's now a Back to the Future one. It has changed. I thought that was first Trek. Aren't aren't they done yet? I mean, seriously, how much more of The Office can they do? I think they're getting a little... Did you do the British one? I thought that was what their Good plan one. was next, and then they're thinking Parks and Rec, or like, I keep suggesting Simpsons. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> so you'll be going forever, is what you're yeah. saying. Exactly. They'll be dead before they run out of episodes. I was gonna say, between that and if you did, um, uh, the fuck it, why am I blanking on the name? The British one, with the TARDIS. Oh, oh Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you gotta watch, you're watching from the start on that one, there's just, it's just a very different show, right? Is yeah. it really a show that didn't it start in the 60s? Of course, it's a very different show. 
Right. Well, yeah, they had a 25 something year hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. If your if your favorite doctor is literally the first doctor, that's that's impressive. You're dead. That's, that's what you are. <laughs> it's only fifty years. There there are plenty of people who you have gotten into it as well. children. Don't forget Sim Talk. Right. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah Sim Talk. And uh, watch Sim Talk. It's another the podcast of the Broken Jars Podcasting Network. Yes, yeah, the one that's about, about professionalism. And professionalism. Wonderful. Actually, I'm wearing a nice shirt. starting. Ben is going to be starting a professionalism podcast. A professionalism podcast. Oh, yes. He's going to teach you how to be. Yes, as after Jacob starts his uh, etiquette podcast and and love of love of Benjamin podcast dedicated to me. Coming um, soon. Coming never. Coming well, as soon as Peace Talks comes out. How about that? Oh, ouch. Might actually come out in 2019, then. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. <laughs> You also it think depends. it's only going to be fifty-one chapters, and you're wrong. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, it's going to be the book Harry Potter book four phenomenon. I remember when Jim put up books almost as fast as Sanderson. Times. <laughs> yes, we all do. We yeah. all remember that. I never remember that. I know it happened.